the uh tell me about the last time that you tried to put the moves on gina and she turned you down so yeah i mean i i had some really nice music playing and everything and everything was really well lit and you know we we went up in there and, and it was it was really sweet and romantic and no it's not working anymore i don't know no, 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 get anything. to the no you gotta get to the part where she like turned you down okay and so yeah and then you know i tried I tried to put my hand on her and she was like, you know, Bear, this is, this is ridiculous. Stop it. <laughs> I, I hope you're, I hope you're amused right now. Seriously. This, this is terrible. <laughs> this is my new favorite thing. It was worth the 500 bucks that this thing cost. <laughs> Just to have this. <laughs> so what's up, man? What's going on this week? What kind of fun stuff did you find on the internet? Um, what has been happening this week? Um, oh, Lucy Flores came out in, in support of your boy, um, <laughs> Joe Biden. Oh yeah, she. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, She's put, maybe put a nail on that. Although it is it is hilarious to hear all the Democrats uh, trying to support him as if they weren't just um, with the Kavanaugh case. Like you know, believe all women, and now yeah, it's, believe all women ex except for except, this one. That's except polling, for this one. <laughs> except for this one, who's accusing a former VP who happens to be polling very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me see what did Biden say. He said, "In my many years in the campaign trail and in public life, I've offered uh, countless handshakes, hugs, expressions of affection, support, and comfort, and not once, never did did I believe I acted inappropriately." If it is suggested I did so, I will listen respectfully, but it was never my intention. I may not recall these moments the same way, and I may be surprised at what I hear. <sighs> this guy. Yeah, it so sounds pretty creepy, though, man. Creepy, creepy Joe. <laughs> creepy Joe's going to be. And what's funny is that the person who's going to have the most fun calling him Creepy Joe, the person who has the most fun calling him Creepy Joe is, is Trump, who... Like, even if you barely believe any of the accusations against Trump, Trump uh -huh. is like a thousand times worse. But that's I love it because that's what happens when that when when, you know, positionally, when you're like, OK, well, we just don't care about appearances that avatars of decency on our side of the aisle. We're only going to judge the other side, you know, yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. that's what happens. You, you know, you know what I hate about this, this whole situation is, um, and obviously neither of us were, were rooting for Joe Biden, um, to, to be the candidate or anything, but a lot of Republicans think we were. And so now they're like, Oh, your guy's a creep. And it's like, but it's not our guy. Like, like you know what I mean? It's really yeah. annoying. It it just gives them a whole bunch of annoying ammo. Well, it reminds me of the time like when when I don't know like Tucker Carlson or or Sean Hannity will be under uh, criticism, and people will dig up some horrible thing that Bill Maher has said right, like, fifteen right. years ago, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh yeah, libs, what do you think about this?" And it's like, yeah. "Okay, fine, fucking, you know what? <laughs> Take both of them." Take all three of them out into a fucking yard and drag them behind a horse until they're just boots. I don't care. 
I don't give a shit, man. Kill, is that a, is that a, is that is that a thing that people say? It's a thing I'm starting. I'm trying to make it happen. Drag them until they're just boots. <laughs> I know that's the second time I've said that, huh? I said that once before on, on the show. Like all that's left after is just like a like yeah. smear of blood and you know. Boots. I like it. With I like bones it. hanging out of them. You remember that Pretty thing that dark. happened in Lake Mead back in like 1999 when Lake Mead started, um, Lake Mead, the huge lake reservoir, man made lake outside of uh, Las Vegas. That I remember we cuddled to keep warm. We did cuddle Mead, around 1999. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different thing. They, around okay. 1999, they, um, <clears throat> they found when the level of the lake started dropping, they would find these like boots and shoes and oh, yeah, cement yeah. blocks. And it, was, it was completely <laughs> empty. It was just from when the mafia had killed people and, and I guess nice. dumped their bodies in there. And Nice. Yeah. Nice, bro. Nice. Um, That's awesome. So I got big news. All right. Oh, well, we didn't even do the part where I say this is Q. And I'm Jewish Dave. I'm Q. And I'm Jewish Dave. And this is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. And we have a live show coming up. How about that, Yes. Dave? I, I'm looking forward to it. That you're not going to be at. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for caring enough and investing. If somebody loves this show so much that they want to send me a first class uh, plane ticket. Oh, first class to, now. To, to, well, hey, I'm getting old and I cannot sit in a plane very well. It hurts my butt a lot. What about like a front row seat? Like what? Not well, yeah, class, I guess I would like... take extra leg room seat. That would be good enough. doesn't have to be full first class. But if somebody wants to pay for it. Uh, I will fly out the morning of, fly back the next day. So tell us what those days are so they can buy my uh, my ticket. Yeah, so this is going to be at Lifehouse Little Havana in May 8th, uh, which is a Wednesday. And it's the title of the show is The End of Miami. It's going to be about uh, guest list is to be determined. We still have some um, pending invites out there of who, who we're going to have up as as, uh, as guests. And um, and a replacement for me. And a replacement for you. We need a co-host and we need uh, a, a few guests. It's going to be um, 7 o'clock. Probably show, show will probably get started, started around 7.30. And um, yeah, buddy. It's going to be really sad not to have you there. Actually, it I might know. be freeing. It might be very liberating. I won't have to carry you. As I usually do. <laughs> so let's cut to an interview where I carried you. <laughs> so Dave, we've managed to go two years on this podcast without really spotlighting a product or a service. We've had this... Um, very ironclad non-endorsement policy on our show we don't do ads we're probably never going to do an ad or, or sponsorships or anything but uh this next segment is is an exception to that rule it's not an advertisement but it's a product that we wanted to talk about a, a service that we wanted to talk about our guests today are the co-founders and proprietors of black girls prepare an emergency management firm that ensures that women are prepared to survive and thrive during national disaster natural disasters uh shantika joiner is a former fema disaster control uh control contractor who worked to bring aid and relief during recoveries from hurricanes like Harvey, Irma, and Michael. Her co-founder is Amber Morgan, someone I've known for probably more than 10 years now, uh, maybe longer. Along with uh, many other things, Amber is an urban survivalist. And their website is blackgirlsprepared.com, where you can sign up for their upcoming Stay Ready workshop. That's going to be on um, April 13th at Lemaire Park in South LA. 
Sean, Amber, welcome to Bird Road. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So why are you both interested in this topic? What was it about um, uh, disaster prep that sort of got your your attention and caused and and urged you to get get this business started? Well, me, this is Shantika. I'm actually pretty new to it. In 2017, I'm sure, as you know, as a resident of Florida, that the hurricane um, Harvey and um, it was both Harvey and uh, Irma hit. Um, And, you know, of course, here in California, we're seeing all the news. We're seeing people driving down, you know, going down freeways and boats. And it was just really tragic. And I felt compelled to do something. Um, so I signed up as a FEMA contractor with a company that's um, located actually in Florida, um, got in my car and drove to Florida from California. First, we ended up in Texas and then um, ultimately Florida. So while I was down there, I just saw complete devastation. I'm going to home after home. Um, I was helping individuals actually sign up for FEMA assistance, people who had lost everything and hearing those personal stories, you know, and a lot of the people who had lost everything, they were insured. They had insurance and their insurances were being denied because they didn't have flood coverage or their insurance were being denied because they didn't actually have something that covered the wind and the rain. Like, and I realized how specific it was to uh, how, how specific insurance was for one thing, you know, you've been paying all this time and thinking that you're covered. Um, And then the second part is just seeing families like piled up in houses, piled up in hotel rooms um, without food, without medication, without water. Um, People who never thought that they would ever be in this situation and how devastating it was to them. Um, And I started to realize that, especially here in Los Angeles, that one day the same thing's going to happen here. We're going to get hit by an earthquake and people just aren't prepared. And I didn't want to ever see that devastation happen if I knew I had the information to help people prevent it. And so that's when I got into that disaster prep. And Amber, for you, it's been, this has been an, an interest of yours for a while, right? Yes, for a very long time. And I think it started with the, for me, at least the visuals from Hurricane Katrina, just watching on television and watching how people were, you know, forced to evacuate their homes and move to the Superdome where they're, they were waiting they were waiting for basic needs like water and so being a native southern californian i mean it's very clear to everyone that lives here that we have frequent earthquakes and we're also going to have the big one which is supposed to be an 8.3 earthquake um which is long overdue so i started initially i'm sort of always been reactionary to different disasters so when i saw the hurricane katrina i was like told my mom we got to get water you know i always try to ensure that we had like six cases of water at all times when the Japanese earthquake occurred in Fukushima, I started buying plastic and duct tape and potassium iodide from nuclear in case we had nuclear fallout from the winds, etc. I started watching, you know, what I ate. I was very cautious about the fish I was eating and trying to take natural um, iodine supplements just to maybe offset if the fish were radioactive. So I've always paid attention to the news. I'm a newsy person. And I think the visuals really just struck home. And I just really realized that the government is not going to take care of you. They're not going to be able to. And so what can you do? Like the lowest hanging fruit you could do is like store water. That's the easiest. Next, you know, and then you move on from there with food and other essentials of medications, et cetera. But prepping is something that is a way of life. It should be because a disaster can happen at any moment, especially in Southern California 
where earthquakes are not predictable. Uh, they have an early warning system they're starting to roll out, but that gives you maybe a couple seconds <laughs> to, to duck and cover. So it's very important to know where your stock is and to have your stock available to you in case you need additional resources. Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up about, um, I think that during our life, having been born when we were born and in the country that we were born in, and especially if you grew up sort of in, in an urban area or a city area, you take certain things for granted, right? Like you, you're just like, oh, that'll be taken care of. That bridge will just always be there. That service will always be there. Um, but it, I mean, it's a lot more fragile than that and it can get knocked offline really easily. And I mean, we found that out during Irma when we lost... God, we lost power for like two weeks in Miami. So, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> and I, I actually, you know, me and Amber have talked about this and I told her, you know, because a lot of people assume like, okay, we're in the United States of America. Uh, you know, nobody's going to not get you water. There's going to be food. Like there's going to be help. There's going to be resources. But what people don't take into consideration a lot of times when it comes to disaster prep and why they need to do it and do it for longer than these three-day kits that they're doing is that a first and foremost before any government agency such as fema can come in you have to let the water recede you know you have to the, right. the area has to become safe and then after that they have to be able to get their people in place and get their people on the ground that's just for the fema basic services right down this last year when michael hit i was actually down in florida as well for um the aftermath of Hurricane Michael, there were people who were without power for three to four weeks. And that's with every crew that they could find in the nation coming down to Florida trying to get these power lines back up. Like, it just does not happen in the time frame that I think a lot of people think it's going to happen. Absolutely. And I think we've seen that just, you know, watching the news, you see how long people are suffering before they have any relief come to them. And even when they do get that relief, I think there's a just basic misunderstanding of what FEMA is. You know, FEMA is not a company that an agency that is dedicated to making people whole again. You know, you're not necessarily going to get, you know, if you have a four bedroom house, they're not going to replace all the stuff that was in your four bedroom home. It's a basic needs program. You know, do you have a bed? Do you have a couple of pair of clothes? Do you have one TV? Do you have a working car to get to work? It's whatever your very basic needs are. It does not make you whole. Um, so that's why, and I know we'll talk about a little bit later where we like really advocate for people getting insurance. Um, you mentioned those three-day kits and sort of that uh, the commercial stuff that's out there right now. And, and I think that that's a really interesting segue. That's a good segue because um, as people of color, the entry point into learning about this topic and finding this topic, I mean, uh, finding out more about this topic, it's not a real savory one. It's Rush Limbaugh commercials. It's like, it's it's just, yeah. it, it lends itself to yeah. a different demographic. And, and there's yeah. like a, uh, as somebody who used to listen to, um, like just out of morbid, absolute morbid curiosity and just uh, self-hatred, I suppose. I used to listen to um, <laughs> like right-wing radio and you hear well, the unspoken mm -hmm. stuff in a lot of these advertisements is one day the blacks and Hispanics are going to get crazy and yeah. we're going to need to prepare against them. So like, I need our guns. It's, a, it's like a hard entry point to try to get interested in a, in a topic like that. How, I mean, talk about the difficulty that you found um, uh, specifically trying to learn about this when, like I say, the entry points are kind of not not very conducive to people of color. <laughs> well, this subject is near and dear to my heart because I even started even getting into the idea of prepping 
based on, again, right-wing extremists, patriots, you know, everything that you mentioned, <laughs> and was literally forced to to sift through all the junk and all the stuff they're talking about to get to the gun training, to understand, you know, um, water resources, to understand how to get a bug out kit or, you know, if you need a shelter and maybe like a, you know, just, I had to go to these sites where mostly they were men and they were in militia type of, you know, um, garments, et cetera, and very frightening actually. And so they kind of presented a kind of doomsday scenario. And to your point, like, oh my gosh, the people of color of the world are gonna come and take our stuff, so we gotta be ready. So it's like, you're trying to sift through that and you're trying to say, hmm, are they afraid of the people of color? Are they afraid of the disaster? <laughs> like, which, which one? And how can I, you know, take what I need from the very valuable, I mean, it, let's be real, it was very valuable information. And for years, I listened to these people. And because I felt like it was an alternative source of information that the government wasn't giving me. Again, that's always, you know, as a person of color, sometimes you don't always, maybe there's a little apprehension to just always take the government at face value in some instances because of just inequities in the past, etc. So it was very interesting and very appealing at first when I w went to these malicious and right-wing sites to get information, but then quickly realized, I don't know if this is quite for me. <laughs> maybe I need to uh, formulate a safe space um, where myself and other people who you know, in my circle, in my community, um, could definitely obtain the information without having to receive the more threatening and frightening, you know, uh, images of, you know, what those sites represent. And I think that's basically how Shantika and I came together in trying to understand that we need a community. Like in any disaster, yeah, you can you can survive on your own, but we need a community of like-minded people because that's where your safety net's going to come from. And so we formulated Black Girls Prepare based on that premise that we want to reshape the image of what a prepper is. A prepper is a Black girl. A prepper is a Black man or a person of color or et cetera. And we have regular jobs and we have, you know, we like to eat at fine restaurants or, you know, et cetera. But guess what? When it goes down, we're also ready for that too. Right. We want people to be able to do what we've kind of coined glam vibe, you know, it's a more glamour version of survival. It's not eating this, you know, you open these kits and they say, you, oh, we have food for you. And you open the kit and you see this big block of food and it's called 3,700 calorie food source. You know, that's what it's called. Delicious. And it literally tastes just as, yeah, exactly. It tastes as bad as the, as what the, the it's named. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people, to be real, we're not about that life. We're not about that life. People like if you could do it, you know, if it was the difference between living and dying, all of us would eat this little block of nothing, right? But why do that if you don't have to when there's so many resources out there for you to be able to have, you know, decent food during those two to three weeks while you're um your power's out and you're waiting for it to come back on so that you don't have to go stand in the line um, and wait for some organization from around the country to come and feed you once a day. And what's funny about that, and you talk about the community aspect of it, and you know, I'm Puerto Rican, I grew up in New York, and uh, I, I just think in my head about how conducive the message is to our to like the community of peoples of color right and and, and people who um who maybe are, mar are are traditionally marginalized and i think about trying to get my grandparents or my uncles and to to 
engage in something like this and I can just imagine that there's resistance or dismissiveness. Have you encountered any of that? Is it hard to talk to our own communities about this topic and be taken seriously? Absolutely. I, for years, I've been labeled as you know, crazy, oh, Amber, or the butt of jokes, oh, Amber, yeah, she thinks there's going to be a nuclear holocaust, and so she's building a shelter underground, and blah, 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 and and in actuality, I'm just trying to provide basic needs for the people in my life, like my community, and so absolutely, I've tried for years to get my parents to prep. My dad would say, nah, 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 I'm not doing all that, (laughs) and then my mother would, (laughs) literally, he would say that, and my mother would just roll her eyes and say, well, then you buy it then. You know what I mean? And so I'm still trying to get her to get earthquake insurance, which she doesn't really view as a something that is like a necessity right now because in her walk in life and given the, you know her age, we haven't had that many earthquakes. And I think sometimes that's what happens in California specifically, because to be honest, the last major quake was the Northridge quake in 1994. You know what I mean? And so my mom's like, well, it doesn't happen that often. So I don't really need all the stuff all the time. So I've been the person in my family to literally buy gas masks, buy water purification tablets, buy, you know, I mean, I have regular uh, hazard masks. I even have Tyvek suits. I have all this stuff, but I become the joke. And like, oh, yeah, well, we're covered because Amber has the stuff. And come on over to our house because Amber has the stuff. (laughs) But it's a joke to them. Yeah. And my experience was actually a little bit different because mine was really personal, you know, so it started off more as a Facebook post, you know, I'm actually down in Port Arthur, Texas, or I'm actually down in um, uh, some of the other areas that I was in Florida. It was like, what was I in uh, one of the beaches in Florida? But anyway, so mine was like a really personal story, like, oh my God, look at this neighborhood. Look how things have been destroyed. And posting videos of people telling me about how, you know, they lived in a, they didn't live in a flood zone. So they never had flood insurance and never thought that they needed to and how they've lost everything. So I think because my stories were a little bit more personal and they were being firsthand experiences, like I am literally here right now in the middle of disaster recovery. These are real people that are being affected. These are real people's stories that are being affected um, that I did get a little bit of a different reaction then I think um like you know I had hundreds of comments on some of my posts where people were talking about what they have done what they haven't done um being able to educate people on insurance and why some of their insurances that they're paying for right now aren't going to help them are going to be inadequate um and so and giving people advice on different insurance companies that they can actually sign up for earthquake insurance or uh, just you know uh renter's insurance if you're a renter uh, making sure that you have earthquake or flood policy on your renter's insurance policy. And so I think a lot of people were really receptive to the information. Now, I don't know how many people actually took that information and then actually did something with it, which is actually the next step, you know, and one of the things that Black Girls Prepare is trying to help people do like, okay, you didn't go out and buy it. Can we help you? How do we help you actually just go ahead and spend that $150 or $200 or $300 um, that you need to at least have a basic kit to survive? And I would I would piggyback on that comment to also say, you know, Shantique and I have discussed that, you know, what happens when you're the only one prepared, right? So if you're the only one prepared, 
people are going to come for your stuff. <laughs> or I've seen that movie. Right. Or, or, your, <laughs> right. or your family members. I mean, because you love them, you're going to share your stash. But guess what? That make that puts you in a different predicament. You're not going to be as safe as you would have been because you have to share with other people who didn't take the time to prepare. Right. So you got a three day kid and now that three day kid needs to feed a family of eight because you're the only person whose home is safe at this moment. Right. <laughs> it literally happened to Monica. Her, 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 her family in Puerto Rico. <laughs> God bless I gotta see. I gotta see it. God bless them. There was nobody home. Just just her brother Norberto, who you know, and uh, he he had that whole big house to himself in Puerto Rico. And uh, by the time it was maybe five days into the into the recovery from uh, from um, from the hurricane, <laughs> they had like eight people living in that house and using a generator that was made for maybe two or three people. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. So your plan is not as good as it was because <laughs> it's dwindled down to literally nothing. And you think that the real, the reality is when it's your family, when it's your mother, it's your brother, it's your nieces, it's your nephew, you're not going to turn them right. away. You know, so if you know that you're the only person in your family preparing, you need to prepare for that. So Absolutely. when, when we're getting down to specifics of preparing, like what, what are some of the first steps that people should be taking? Like what, what matters the most for them to get into first? Would it be like you mentioned, you know, most people already have water or at least some people, but what else are some of the first things that they should be doing? Uh, well, the first thing for sure, and we've talked about this is safety. Um, there is somebody wrote on one of our pages and it was so true. It said that if you are, um, if you aren't prepared to protect yourself, you're basically preparing for your neighbors, wow. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, because, and, and I've saw, I've seen this firsthand down in Florida, especially somewhere, you know, in the backwoods where, you know, people they're looting, they're breaking into homes you know, of course, there's some elements of people who were just already that kind of person there. But you also have elements of people just trying to survive right, at this right. point, you know, and um, that's just the reality there. If you have something and someone's starving or their child is at home starving and they have the opportunity to take it, they will. So definitely safety, making sure that not only you have something, protect yourself. Um, that's going to be our second actual workshop is, you know, gun preps and learning how gun safety and everything. But um, also making sure that you can do like some basic triage. Like if you're injured or someone in your home is injured, you know, making sure that you have the ability to 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 if you don't if you can't get to the hospital, which a lot of times you can't. You know, in the hospital, the paramedics can't come to you, which a lot of times they can't. How do you do some basic first aid um, and, and triage to make sure that you're at least alive and, and safe? I feel like that's something we all should know anyway, um, but a lot of us don't. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, it's absolutely true. And I think along with safety, I mean, you need to protect your your stash. And so I would argue that next would be water because at the end of the day, water is life, right? You cannot live 48 hours to 72 hours without it. Mm -hmm. And so let's say, for example, I know that the, some disasters are more predictable than others, right? So with hurricanes, you know it's coming. Tornadoes, you may or may not. Um, terrorism or an earthquake, you definitely don't know. And so having water, like for example, three bottles of water at your desk at work 
can mean the difference between life and death for you. Because if you're stranded in that building and the building has collapsed for whatever reason, you have water for maybe two or th- two days to help you, you know, um, survive. And so just those basic little small things like keeping water in your trunk of your car, you can store water in your car um, as well, because that water, the plastic won't necessarily break down until it gets to about like 200 degrees. So just having stashes of water along the way could definitely save your life. And in addition to that, when you have a major disaster, like such as floods or such as water main breaks, et cetera, you're gonna have contaminants that are going to get into the water. You're gonna have broken pipes. You're gonna have all these situations. So you're going to need to understand how to purify your water. Uh, Most people know the obvious, you boil it. But that, that's assuming you have electricity or mm-hmm. gas or a pot <laughs> or right. something to boil the water. So if you don't have that, what else can you have? On the market, they have water purification tablets. Pop one of those bad boys in your water, you, you could say it's safe to drink. They also have uh, the Wait, uh, Amber, water. Do you, remember, uh, do you remember when the pre- when that was explained in Puerto Rico to the president and he thought that it was a scam? He was like, you, that was one of the funniest. That I was what was one of the absolute most disastrous, hilarious weeks in in um, the history of disaster recover, uh, recovery. Donald Trump was in Puerto Rico and ha- was having the water purification tablets explained to him by a, a, a Puerto Rican a Puerto Rican oh. woman. And she was like, no, you drop it in the water and it purifies the water. And he looks at her like he doesn't believe her. And he's like, are you selling these? How much are you selling these for? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't fathom that there's just a product. That's, oh my goodness! That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, you already know about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, it's it's something so simple, and you know, another right. thing that people don't think about is that okay, so water is the lowest hanging fruit, in my opinion, and so the recommended amount of water that you store should be one gallon per person per day. How many people have? that in their homes right now probably zero and, and you also got to take in consideration yeah that that water is being used to cook with sometimes it's being used mm-hmm. to drink you know it's not just we don't realize how often how much water we use right right and if you have pets you need to also ensure that they have their water supply and food supply so it's definitely yeah. something that anyone could just go to walmart or any other big you know store and buy the water just have it Q, could you imagine how much water I would need with all my pets? You would tear through water. It's obscene how many animals you have. You would have to let them free. Let them free. That would be the humane thing to do. They can. They probably have a better chance surviving the hellscape Never. of a charred earth than with you. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> and don't, and uh, Amber, don't forget the. Um, you know they have these water purification bo- water bottles now. Yes, where basically. Actually, what are those? Yeah. So basically, they are filters that you can literally, they have them in the form of straws, as well as in a, a straw within a water bottle. So if your water supply is, you know, compromised, et cetera, and you have a stream or a river or, you know, another uh, water source nearby, you can literally take your straw and drink the water because it it purifies the um the water you know, removing bacteria, parasites, viruses, and some some of the uh, more expensive brands will actually remove lead. So it's an easy thing to have if you have to literally go hiking and find a new water source. So I think I think one yeah. of the interesting things that you t- you touched on there, especially when um, Shantiki, when you were talking about uh, the concept of contamination, is that this these scenarios play out differently 
depending on whether you're in a metropolitan or an urban area versus, you know, a more rural area. What do people need to know for, you know, I think that most of our listeners are probably city dwellers. I mean, and and, and as you said, um, Amber, a minute ago, most people, I think in the city tend not to think about this stuff. We sort of tend to rely on the societal struts that we see around us as like these permanent things that are just always going to be there. What distinctions are there between the rural experience and, uh, and urban? For one, uh, and like to your point that people are thinking they're going to rely on the structures that are in our city. Um, Amber brought up a really great statistic in the 1994 earthquake here in Los Angeles that, the local one of the local fire departments ran out of resources in five minutes wow Wow. five (laughs) minutes after the earthquake you know and how many of us are thinking within five minutes after a big major quake or a hurricane let me go run down to the firehouse like you're not that's not on top of your mind um so one of the things especially in the urban environment that you need to be able to do is know how to shelter in place like if your home has not collapsed or it you know and it's still in place how do I shelter in place for the next few days? You know, because while tragedies, you know, bring out the best in people, because you do see communities that are all around you coming together and checking on each other, they also bring out the worst in people as well, wow. right? So you have people, they know that that that, that you can't call 911. They know that you can't call cops. So shelter in place, which means that you need to have some of the things we said before, water, but also food, making sure you have a food source that you don't have to cook, you know, or if you have to leave that you don't have to carry. I think that a lot of people's first instinct is like, oh, let me buy canned goods. Yeah. You know, let me stock up on canned goods for the disaster. Canned goods are heavy. Can you imagine <laughs> how many canned goods you think you can carry? Like in reality, how many do you think you can carry? How many days worth of food without, and, and actually if you have to leave your home. So having a, a source of food that, you know, only requires some whey milk or some water to be added to it, the portable stove to cook it on, or that you can just eat, you know, without having to, um, you know, lug around all of those things if you do need to move. So food is definitely one of the big things you need. Um, I think you need them in both areas. I would, I argue, so me and me and Amber have this conversation. I think, you need, <laughs> I think you need more of it in a rural area than you do in an urban area, uh, mainly because in an urban area, uh, you know, help is coming in an yeah. urban area. Like you're going to have organizations from all around the country that that's what they do. And they're going to get their people together and they're going to drive here and fly in here. And there are going to be tents being set up where you can go get you some food if you need, if you can go get some water, if you need it, you can go get first aid if you need it. It's coming more to an urban area than it is to a rural area. So I think you need to be more prepared and have even more food in the rural area because it takes a lot longer for people to get to you. And it was a revelation and we were having this conversation because, of course, if you watch the movies or you watch you know, television shows that are about disaster, you think you're going to be really safe in the country, right? You think, I have a farm, I have animals, you know, I can hide in the yeah. woods, like, <laughs> away from everyone. And it was a revelation. So it's like, I thought, even myself included, I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a farm. I'd feel safer in the, in the rural area than I would in an urban area. Yeah, um, the grocery stores in the rural areas, it's going to take a lot longer for them to get restocked, you know, and it's going to take a lot longer for the resources to get out there uh, because so 
one of the things that definitely people in rural areas need to do is make sure that they are, are, are prepping for a longer period of time, you know, that they're prepping to be able to, to, to kind of get past that. But in an urban area, again, so we want you to be able to shelter in place. And part of that, one of the things me and Amber call it, we call it the three S's, right? You want safety. And we talked about that before. I mean, we, you know, safety and security, strength, that's being able to have your food, your water, um, water for purification tablets. It's being able to have something such as like activated black charcoal, right? It's something so small that people don't have in their home, but foodborne illnesses are really real, real during this time. You know, you don't know what what you're eating. You don't know if it's been properly refrigerated. You don't know if how long the power went out for these people who are selling the food, the burgers on the street for $30, right? So you want to be able to have something that's going to be able to take away, you know, uh, if you get sick, if you get ill, if you have food poisoning, uh, activated black charcoal could actually help with that. It's a natural way to be able to prevent all of that. And then sanity, right? You don't want to go crazy sitting in your house. It's dark at night. You don't have a generator. Most people don't, you know, even I think people should, but if you, you know, it's a lot more expensive after disaster, post-disaster, but you know, like you can't watch Netflix. You can't talk on your phone. You can't play games. Like, what do you do? Like, you want some things that are going to help you with your sanity, be it a, a deck of cards or some board games or, um, you know, a bottle of alcohol, if that's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have a four-year-old like we did at the time when, uh, when, the, when, when the hurricane hit, wow, the struggle to try to get that iPad um, recharged we we had we had batteries stacked up like the <laughs> the external batteries we always focus on this show about inequalities and we talk about the the different experiences that different part, that different parts of America have when um you know when they need help and there is a historical inequality and in disaster response not just from the federal but from local and state uh levels is, is that something that's a focus that 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 you're um aware of with black girls prepare and is it something that can be addressed i mean it sounds almost more like a lobbying thing but is it something that that um you know it's a reality how do you deal with it i think it's to start i would argue that you need to educate people so i think when you're looking at for example hurricane katrina people of lower socioeconomic statuses just didn't have maybe the resources to even hear about the message of where to evacuate so you need to be able to set a standard where people understand that there, if there's a major disaster, these are the first, you know, five things you need to do or or seek shelter or be able to reach a certain point to, to ensure that you can ride out the disaster. Um, I would also argue, though, you know, with lower socioeconomic statuses as well, you're going to have situations where you have a person that rents versus owns a home. And I think that makes a huge difference in the sense of how you are able to obtain resources to seek another shelter, um, maybe you get your home repaired. Sometimes when disaster strikes a community, you know, it's disaster gentrification. That renter is forced to move to an entirely different community, and that community then changes. And the people who then uh, occupy that community, are, you know, also change the, the D, its DNA. Yeah, and there was an actual article that recently came out. I think I believe it was NPR, and it it basically said that um, during natural disasters, people those who um, who have means, the wealthy, actually get wealthier after them. 
And then people who are in the poor, who are poor or poor, a lower economic status actually become poor after natural disasters. Um, so in, even when it comes to FEMA, right, you know, I would argue FEMA, yes, FEMA doesn't see color, right? But because they don't see color, it actually creates bigger inequalities during disasters, right? All they see is a homeowner. So as a homeowner, they're going to help you make your home whole, right? So they're going to care about your broken windows and your floors messed up. And so you're going to get a much larger check, right? If you're getting something from FEMA and you're a homeowner, right? But if you're not a homeowner, they really don't care if the windows in your house are broken. They're just trying to see, is this place livable? Is it not? Okay, it's not livable. You know, here's a couple of thousand dollars for you to move, right? Versus the person who owns the home might be getting a check for $40,000 to help them bring their house whole. So there's that difference. Um, and then also that I think that people, a lot of times people, um, especially people that I would say of color that I deal with, and it's one of the reasons why we're creating Black Girls Prepare. We're trying to make sure that the people who, who look like you know us or women in general are actually having the resources, but people don't have insurance. They're not insured, especially if you're a renter, people don't get renter's insurance. And the sad part about people not getting renter's insurance is they literally don't realize how cheap it is. Like you can get renter's insurance for $20 a month. Most of us have $20 extra a month laying around to get renter's insurance. That means, you know, and it's not just for the natural disasters. Like people are like, oh, I don't know if it's coming. I broke my laptop flying in an airport maybe like six months ago, dropped my laptop, broke my laptop, called my renter's insurance and had a check in my account probably four days later to replace my laptop. You know, so it protects it, it protects so many things that people don't realize. Like your food goes if you're um, you have a blackout and your food spoils in your refrigerator, your renter's insurance will replace that for you're talking about for twenty dollars a month. Right. So how much is that a year? Is, yeah, 240, 240 yeah. bucks a year. Okay, yeah. so for 240 bucks a year, should a disaster strike, you know, especially if you're down in Florida where these things are happening yearly now, we're saying that, you know, instead of having to wait for two to three weeks, hoping that FEMA is going to show up, waiting for your aid from FEMA, waiting for someone who was like myself to come out and do your home inspections, right? Instead of waiting two to three weeks, you could have your, your funds in three to four days, right? Because you have renter's insurance. Not only that, now it's not basic needs anymore. Now it's not, do you have one chair? Do you have some clothes on your back? You know, now it's like, okay, how many TVs did you have? We're replacing all four TVs. How many couches did you have? We're replacing all your couches, you know, and being made whole, right? And and then also just, you know, just having that safety and security, not to have to be in a hotel or piled up in a house with someone for the next two years while you're waiting to recover, because you didn't want to spend twenty dollars a month. And to add on to that, I think it's it's interesting, and I think the the government or the the messaging out there grossly underestimates what will happen specifically in Southern California when the next earthquake hits. We are required to have flood insurance, but not earthquake insurance. I mean, if you if you visualize what the big one will be, it will be basically a hundred times or more greater in energy and power than the 1994 earthquake that made the freeway collapse. It will shift the 
10 freeway and the 15 freeways, they won't even be in the same spot. So if you're thinking you're going to drive to Vegas, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So I think it's very important to understand the scale of what could happen. And, you know, the government will say, oh, well, you just need a kit for three days. No, this is going to be something that's going to be huge. And we will be, you know, on our own for quite some time. And so it's very important to understand the damage that will happen to your home. It will, in a major earthquake, quite possibly shift off its foundation completely and be uninhabitable. So it's like having earthquake insurance, which, you know, and doing just some you know, research, it's really not that expensive for a home. You know, home values in Southern California are expensive. If you have a decent home, it's, you know, here, you know, their prior decent home is like 600000 or whatever, but you can get health insurance. I mean, I have insurance, earthquake insurance for about under $150 a month. I have to get car insurance. Why, why wouldn't I? And that's for, that's not for renter's no, insurance home, though, right? Because no, no, the renter's insurance that's actually home, is cheaper. Homeowners. That's home, yeah. And they, a lot of homeowners do not realize, and this is what happened in Florida, and it's going to happen here in California if people don't. It, you assume that that your your policy is going to cover, that's going to cover anything, right? But what was happening down in Florida, and this is literally, to like, I witnessed this, right? You had people who had, hurricane insurance they had hurricane insurance and a hurricane hit and their house was destroyed and their uh insurance company denied them because they said the hurricane isn't what caused the damage there was a flooding caused by the hurricane and their houses were flooded and they didn't have flood insurance meaning that their policies weren't valid and this is an entire this is an entire scandal and it's years old uh, you're, that you're touching on and it was some it had to do a lot with a with a hand in hand work between the state level government and the actually the realtors associations that were getting pushed out more than 15 years ago when when the cost of closing and the cost of insuring certain homes became untenable so they basically had to move the goalposts and in moving those goalposts, they left a lot of people, especially in coastal areas, jeopardized because their policies weren't good enough anymore. They were just paying for the policy that they were required by the by the terms of the mortgage. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's going to happen here in California. A lot of people don't realize that earthquake insurance is its own. You, it needs to be very specifically named in your policy. Like it is not or they cannot cover you. They can say, hey, I'm sorry, earthquakes weren't uncovered with your insurance. That's after you've been paying on insurance for years, for years. And then when you need it the most, it's not going to be there for you because you didn't realize that you had to very specifically have earthquake insurance named in your policy and flood insurance, because that's where a lot of the damage comes from. And I also wanted to kind of just touch on something else that Amber said about these three day kits. Um, So me and Amber have done a lot of research recently and looking at all the kits that are out on the market. And basically the majority of them, even the ones that are labeled earthquake kit, hurricane kit, they're basically these they're basically glorified first aid kits. Like 90% <laughs> of the kit it's nothing but band-aids and gauze like yeah. and it's it's a joke because if you're if you're really injured, let's say, during one of these events, a band-aid and some gauze is not what you actually need. You know, you're going to need a real wound kit in most of these cases. And if you're not injured and you go open this kit that you think you've prepared, you know, because you bought it online and that's, you know, your first instinct naturally. Let me go see what something's online. Oh, great. They say there's an earthquake kit for a family of four that's going to last five days. Most of us never even crack them open. They never look at them. 
you crack it open and you're like, wait a minute, band-aids, 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 gauze, 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 3,000 calorie black food, some water. Okay, wait a minute. I actually don't have enough here to even live. But even some, yeah, yeah, the little water, they're like four ounces of water and they'll give you a few of those. Where are the alcohol? Where are the playing cards? <laughs> you know, and that's one of the things. And if you actually have a blog, we have a blog up there that's called Why Your Why Your Earthquake Kit Sucks, right? And I definitely encourage people to go and read it and then to go take a look at their earthquake kit, kits and see that they actually do indeed probably suck and will not help you survive for a number of days because you're not about that life. People think they're about that. I, people need to go open that food and see if they can eat it. Like test it out because you're not going to want to eat that for seven days. You're not about that life. And most people are not about that life. <laughs> I'm not about that life. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have the uh, workshop coming up. Um, could you talk a little bit about what exactly is going to be covered? I'm assuming some of the stuff we talked about and maybe some other things. Well, I'll start on this one. Um, April is Earthquake Preparedness Month, and that is why we selected April to launch our first event. Um, we mentioned already that, you know, the importance of earthquake preparedness, and what we really want to demonstrate um, is how inadequate, as Shanti could mention, that three-day kits, five-day kits, et cetera, on the market are to really help someone prepare. And if you, and so we're going to walk, um, you know, our, our um clients through a scenario where they will really grasp the concept of what the next big earthquake will do um, and educate them about earthquake insurance and educate them on how to properly uh, create a kit or have a, a kit created for them and also um, just ensure that their kit is, is a kit that, that would really um, meet their needs individually. Yeah, we're going to go through the real nitty-gritty details, the, the the first-hand knowledge, the first-hand experience, the things that you're not going to be able to find just by a Google search a lot of times. Um, we're going to take you from A to Z. What happens during a disaster? What happens, you know, post-disaster? How do you survive? What are your tactics? What do you need to have in order to make sure that you can survive in comfort, you know, which I don't think a lot enough people are actually talking about out here. Most of these kits are designed for bare-bone survival. How do I not die? Like, how do I not die during the five days I'm waiting? No. How do you be able to at least have some comfort while you're waiting for five or six days when you can actually prepare for that? So we're going to help people actually create these kits, figure out what needs to go into these kits and what they need to do, what their next steps are um, and really quick, easy and digestible um, steps. Oh, most people think they're going to call 911, <laughs> you know what I mean, or, or get on their internet to find out, like, you know, where the, when the help's coming. And in a major disaster, and specifically at this, you know, our seminar, we want to really highlight that, you know, your house may be on fire, heaven forbid, and the fireman's going to drive right past because he needs to get to the potential chemical fire that can endanger more people. So just really relating it back to, like, you are on your own, and you really need to pay attention and take the steps. So once again, the website is blackgirlsprepared.com. The upcoming workshop is going to be on April 13th at Lemaire Park in South LA. Sign up, secure your spot, space is limited. Uh, can people follow you on social? Absolutely. All of our handles are at, um, the majority of them are at Black Girls Prepare, and then Twitter is BLK 
um, girls prepare. So Shantika, Amber, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I don't know why, but um, as we were saying goodbye to them, I waved at my computer screen. So you're <laughs> there's something wrong with me. I don't know. <laughs> but I am serious, though. You do have to get rid of those animals if there's ever a disaster in Vegas. Or you just, like, use them as a They loser. would want to go down with the ship. That's what it comes down to. They they love me so much that they would, you know, they'd, they'd just hang out with me until the, my last dying breath. What is the ship? Yeah, but I mean... The ship is is Ironwood Knoll. <laughs> I'm a ship. <laughs> <laughs> you seen this thing about um, this guy? I don't know who he is, Omari Hardwick, but he, I guess he like felt up and was way too cutesy wootsy with uh, with Beyonce at um, the BET mm-hmm. Awards last night, and now everybody's talking about how. And this again, that takes balls, like, you know, n- not condoning them in any way, shape or form. But wow, like that's a uh, interesting target. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess shoot your shot, man. But like, Jeez. like, I don't know. I'm looking at it and I, I think that, yeah, this is the same thing as the Biden thing, though. I think that that um, guys can get a little too handsy sometimes. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm, I'm Maybe I'm just not seeing it in this one. This is like a this is like a. Three-quarter Biden. <laughs> this is like a, a one-third Biden. The this old is, three-quarter Biden. He gave, he gave her the old three-quarter Biden. <laughs> he was going to go full Biden, but uh, Jay-Z was standing right there. I mean, that would have been uh, really awkward if he went full Biden. Eh, I don't know, half to three-quarter Biden. Not quite sure. <laughs> Let me tell you, 2019 Jay-Z, not so worried about. Uh, 2002 Jay-Z, uh, I, mean, I, would never, I wouldn't even pull the one-third Biden because who knows. <laughs> Back when he had nothing to live for. Uh, that that um, needs to catch on. It really does. <laughs> give her a half bite. No, she was really pretty and I you know, I just met her and um, you know, I, I didn't even realize it was right in front of her husband and uh I gave her a half Biden and I feel really bad about it. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Oh, what do you got going on, Dave? What's happening at Piecing It Together? Um, well, we just you guys are releasing fin- three episodes a week. It's disgusting. Yeah, it sure seems like it's going to be that way. We got a whole bunch of episodes coming. And you're emailing me the morning of interviews saying, hey, uh, do, do we have anything prepared for these interviews? At five days after I sent the questions. No, I meant, I meant was there anything specific you wanted me to know ahead of time? Like I I'd read the uh, the outline and and took a look at their website. I I, I knew it was up. I knew it was up. All right. Say I mean, so. you know, I, I did I did my Jewish Dave part for the show as always. Um, but yeah, no, piecing it together. Uh, we got episodes coming up this week on climax and the beach bum. And uh, hopefully us, too, because we, we were hoping to get that out last week. Isn't Climax a streaming movie? I thought that was a streaming movie. No, no. It came out in theaters. It's a limited release, though. Um, it'll be on streaming, like, really soon already. Uh, but it's really one of my favorite movies of the year already. So, And uh, we just had our biggest month so far, so I'm excited about that. Uh, it's going well over there. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Nobody's listening to this show. <laughs> We've got people listening. I, 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 I have people who tell me they're listening. Um, 
no, people are listening to this show. I don't want to make of it sound like they are. It's fun to be self-deprecating. Yes, that's right. I don't want to that's shit right. on our audience. No. Um, yeah, and so once again, we mentioned it at the top of the show, May 8th. We got the live Bird Road show guest list and guest host to be uh, to be announced, but it'll be at Lifehouse Little Havana on um, May 8th, which is a Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So check it out. Come on by. We want to see you. It's going to be awesome. Awesome.